Hello and welcome to the Migration 2.0 podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about human trafficking in Cyprus. I'm, my name is Rishabh Sandilia, and I'm here today without my regular co-host, Hubert Faustman, who is away for the holidays. This podcast is a collaboration between the Friedrich Ebert Shifting Cyprus office and Project Phoenix. Project Phoenix is a migrant-led European NGO and social enterprise dedicated to systemic change of the inclusion ecosystem. In this podcast, we explore issues related to migration through multiple lenses. By amplifying migrant voices and shedding light on migration issues, we hope to promote inclusion, highlight the diversity of migrant experiences, and humanize migrants by including and centralizing their voices in the discourse. Today, our guest is the inspirational Katerina Stefanou. Katerina is the CEO and founder of Step Up Stop Slavery, a nonprofit organization based in Cyprus that is committed to disrupting the human trafficking business model through disruptive education programs for schools and corporations. But that's not all. Uh, Katarina is also a senior compliance professional who has spent many, many years uh, working as a lawyer, uh, both in the UK uh, and Cyprus, and we're excited to have her on the show. Uh, Welcome, Katarina. Hi, thank you for having me. Before we dive into your work specifically with Step Up Stop Slavery, Could you provide a general overview of the human trafficking situation in Cyprus? Uh, And can you also tell us a little bit more about what, uh, you know, led you to become more involved in this issue? So human trafficking in Cyprus takes uh, lots of different forms. Uh, When I talk about human trafficking, I actually prefer to talk in terms of exploitation of vulnerability for profit. We have, when we talk about vulnerability, Lots of groups and lots of people are vulnerable for different reasons. It could be because of refugee status. It could be because of migration. It could be physical or mental health, handicap. It could be poverty, emotional reasons, or people with a history of abuse and addiction. So the the type of trafficking in the end of the day depends on what the trafficker or the perpetrator wants to achieve. So when we look at like the most common type in Cyprus is, as we all know, when we think of Cyprus is sex trafficking. We also have a very, very high percentage of exploitation for the purposes of forced labor. This is mainly where we see men being victims. So we're looking at men who are exploited in agriculture, um, in construction business. And we also see lots of women also in, in, in forced labor, but the women in forced labor, we see cases where they're actually sexually exploited also. Like for example, We've seen, we've seen a case where one specific woman was working in um, agriculture, who was also being visited by her employer in the evening and being raped at night. And uh, this is a bit of a horrific story, but while she was being interviewed, this is a true story, while she was being interviewed by the police, one of the things she said was, She said, I was one of the lucky ones, she said, at least my employer, before he came to see me, had a shower. Other girls would just be raped in the fields. So this is like one example of how how severe things are in certain cases here. Um, Other examples of, uh, of trafficking include forced begging, forced marriage, 
and forced criminality. Now, forced criminality is cases where a trafficker will take somebody um, in a vulnerable position. It could be someone like with with um, like a bit of a mental handicap um, or someone with drug addiction and make them do criminal acts, let's say like selling uh, drugs or theft. Another maybe less, definitely less known and less obvious type of trafficking that we're beginning to see are things like egg harvesting, surrogacy and adoptions. Um, organ donation is also a big one that we're beginning to see here. Now, when we look at egg harvesting, for example, we don't automatically think that it's human trafficking, but it happens in cases where young girls uh, or um, girls maybe in their 20s who have financial difficulties are approached and asked if they can go through fertility treatment to get eggs for money reward. In most of these cases, the girls are not paid and the levels of hormones that they're pumped up with are so extreme that they end up having severe health problems. So you understand that the, the range of types of human trafficking in Cyprus are very wide. Just on that so, point, can you yeah. talk a little bit more about, so we have this wide range of unfortunate incidences of trafficking, but in terms of the most common ones, is it mostly labor and, and sexual trafficking or what, what, yeah. what do you see? Yeah, yes. The most common ones are sex and labor. Okay. Uh, please go ahead and tell us then uh, what led you to set up, step up Stop Slavery um, to, you know, address this issue and, you know, what, what exactly is it that you do with Step Up Stop Slavery? Okay, so um, as as you've already said in your introduction about me, my background is I'm I'm a corporate lawyer, and um, and a compliance officer. So when I was um, when I was working in compliance and I was doing my training with uh, ACAMS, which is um, a gl the global certification for compliance, I began to see how you could use anti financial crime regulations to follow the money to target human traffickers and that got me thinking like how can I actually have a practical impact here through my profession so why am I doing this I think I think I, I don't have a choice actually um, I think on a soul level, we all have have a, a purpose that's call, calling our soul that we have to fulfill for the risk of sounding a bit fluffy here. Um, but it's something that called me and I couldn't not pursue it. So I think um, when when you talk about fulfilling your life purpose in, in this lifetime, there's a recipe to that. And this is two parts. The first thing that you need to do, which is what I did, is look at what makes your heart bleed. And the second thing you need to do is match what makes your heart bleed with your skills. So that's exactly what I did. I got together what makes my heart bleed, which is exploitation of human beings. And I mixed it together with my skills, with my legal and compliance skills, and I created Step Up. Yeah, so that's fascinating. Um, what exactly is it that, that you guys do in this in this noble attempt to, to address the situation? Right. So basically we have we focus on two areas, okay, because our ultimate objective is to disrupt the business model of trafficking. The first thing we do is education. So basically working with frontline professionals, 
um, schools and children and using education and the role of each industry to encourage them and enable them to disrupt human trafficking as it comes through their businesses. And the second part of what we do is supporting survivors. So we're setting up a survivor support center, which I'll talk more about later, which basically provides legal, psychosocial and reintegration support to survivors of trafficking in Cyber. Wow, that's quite a large remit. Um, thank you for that introduction. Um, just a couple of questions here for our listeners who may not be familiar with the, with the terminology. Uh, you know, we have a situation at the Green Line in Cyprus where we have uh, people who are often students in the north being smuggled across uh, the Green Line into the south. And we often see this term human smuggling being interchangeably used with the term trafficking. Do these terms mean the same thing? What are the differences? And then how would you describe the, the process of how uh, people move from the north uh, across the Green Line into the south? Right. So thanks for the question. It's a, it's, it's, it's a massive one and covers lots of um, topics here. So human smuggling and human trafficking are two different things. Firstly, human smuggling it's the business of transporting people illegally across an international border. One thing to distinguish here is that it's voluntary. So smuggling, unlike trafficking, does not involve the element of coercion. So the people that smugglers bring from one place to another, generally they've chosen to make that trip for many reasons. It could be their fleeing violence or poverty or their refugees. And in cases like these, the, 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 the people pay someone, pay smugglers to help them make the journey across. Now, trafficking, by contrast, is involuntary. Okay, so what traffickers use is they use fraud, force, fraud or coercion to get someone to sell work or sex in exploitative conditions, okay? And unlike smuggling, trafficking, it doesn't include, it doesn't necessarily include movement or transportation at all. It could do, but it's not part of a definition. So a person can be trafficked in their very own home, in their city, in their town. Um, now, what we generally see when we look at, um, at smugglers, helping people cross the border from the north to the south is that uh, what they normally do because what somebody wants to come to the south and wants to be found. So what they do is they, in practice, they take them to the green line, like where there's bushes and they can be hidden and they let them literally walk over. That's how it's actually happening in practice. And in, and in just in, clarification here so and how many people if we actually have some who are actually trafficked over from the north rather than smuggled we we don't have that data right now i think it's it probably is quite a lot um so we're and we we do hear lots of cases from from survivors who are in in shelters and being helped by the authorities that they have come from the north to the south. We have lots of cases of um, sex trafficking victims that we know have, have come, but we don't have the exact data to be able to quantify that at, at the moment. 
Okay, thanks. It's an interesting angle because I'm sure there is some overlap here with people who, you know, initially want to move across the Green Line from the north, uh, but then end up getting uh, trafficked instead of after they've been smuggled uh, across the border, across the Green Line. Apologies. Yes, 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 of course, because there's a very, uh, I mean, when when someone's here and they, they don't have the legal status, these people are prime targets for traffickers because they don't have a legal status. And because when they're exploited, they don't have any legal recourse. They're not going to go to the police and alert the authorities because they don't have the legal status. And then it's, they have the risk of being arrested and, and deported, which they don't want to happen. So they are prime targets for human traffickers. Thank you for that insight. Let's move into understanding how Step Up Stop Slavery works uh, a little better. Um, you talk a lot about using education and disruptive education uh, as a tool. As we've understood, you've had a couple of collaborations in the recent past uh, with the Cypriot government based on a disruptive education model. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the model, what it entails, how uh, education and generating awareness against human trafficking works, um, and you know what's the overall impact of this, this approach? Sure. Thanks for your question. Again, another <laughs> one more big one. Um, so let's start by looking at the our objective here. So our objective is to disrupt. Okay. So when we look at something like human trafficking and slavery, we're actually looking at the second largest, most lucrative business globally after drug trafficking. And this business is based on international or organized crime, it involves corruption, it involves connection to terrorists, it involves also private companies who use slave labor to make massive profits and sex trafficking. So this is a business that generates over $150 billion a year. The, this business model is really hard to crack because it's so deeply entrenched in our economy. Right. I mean, if you think about the, the profit made at the expense of human beings, 150 billion is made from the society. So the money comes from us. So we need to be putting the focus on us as society and asking us uh, ourselves a question. Where are we responsible and how can we play a role in stopping the demand for products and services coming from um, human slaves and trafficked individuals. So what we're doing is we're trying to disrupt, right? So what is disrupting? Disrupting is like putting a spanner in the works. But in order to disrupt trafficking and slavery, we need to be proactive. We need to have a long-term strategy that covers lots of disciplines. So we need to come at this problem from lots of different angles at the same time. We need to disrupt demand and we need to eliminate root causes, okay? So when we're talking about firstly disrupting demand, we're looking at the, the economic model behind demand, which is supply and demand. So we need to look at how as consumers, how we can disrupt demand, right? So then we're looking at the, the, the role that corporates are playing. So in their ESG policies, when companies looking through their supply chains, how can a company make sure to the best of its ability that it's not using slave labor in its supply chains? 
And then we're looking at disrupting demand on a personal level. And from this angle, we're looking at our role as consumers. So where do we choose to give our money? What products are we buying? Like before we buy something, do we ask who made this product? We're so used to, you know, we're so used to being like, oh, I want to buy a t-shirt that's going to cost like, I don't know, five euros instead of like 50, right? But do we actually stop to think where this t-shirt was made? In most cases, this t-shirt that we buy for five euros because we just want that quick fix, you know, like when we're maybe feeling a bit low when we want some like supermarket shopping therapy. Do we actually think that this t-shirt was probably made by a four or five-year-old child in India in a garment factory? We don't think of that. So we need to start changing the way we're thinking. And there's lots of products out there. For example, in Cyprus, now finally we have Tony Chocolonely. Tony Chocolonely is slave-free chocolate. So they actually make sure that the cocoa beans that they use in making their chocolate is slave-free. That's one example how we can disrupt demand. Another thing we have to do is eliminate root causes. And when we're talking about that, which we'll, we're going to talk more uh, in when we talk about the school program, but looking at what, what cultural shifts we need to make as a society to shift from being in, so focused on our own personal profit and on, on our selfish needs and start thinking about the impact of the choices that we make on other people. So you're saying, you know, we need to, to, to combat trafficking, you need to look at root causes and you need to, uh, you know, force, not force, but guide consumers and, and, and you know, civil society with ethical choices. Uh, and that's one angle of it. The other angle is then the education angle. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the work you're doing with schools and universities and how you use that to address trafficking? Yes. So when we talk about schools, the... The work we're doing with schools is basically uh, we want to make sure that the, the potential of schools is recognized in the fight against trafficking, because right now, in my view, it has a massive potential and it's untapped. If we look at the positioning of schools within the community, we're seeing that the school is the core connector between children, parents, police and child services. So what the schools really need to do, not just in Cyprus, but internationally, is build these connections with these four stakeholders. They need to train their staff and they need to enhance their reporting protocols so they can report cases to the police. So I'm going to talk a bit about teachers and why it's so important that teachers are trained in, in identifying and reporting human trafficking. So the teachers, by virtue of their job, is they are the key people who, if they understand trauma, if they understand how trauma affects children and their behaviors, they can be able to pinpoint kids who are being groomed online, let's say, or being trafficked, and they can actually pinpoint kids who are the most vulnerable to being exploited. So then they can give them the support to make sure that they're protected. So teachers need to understand trauma and they also need to understand what types of human trafficking are happening in their communities and what like the red flags that they need to look out for. And when we talk about children, so we have basically three main points which we 
which we have built the disruptive education model on regarding children. The one is protection. The second is prevention, how kids can play a role in preventing long-term, on a long-term level, preventing human trafficking. And the third thing we do with children is proactive empowerment. I'm gonna explain all these things. So the first one, protection. So an educated child, is a protected child. When a child is aware and knows what human trafficking is, how it happens, how grooming happens, how online exploitation happens, right? Then they are in a position to protect themselves because we want to give the kids the tools that wherever they are, whatever they're doing, like when they graduate and go to university, any situation they're in, they can protect themselves. We need to empower them. And I want to talk a bit about online exploitation here because during COVID, we've seen a tremendous influx, increase of online exploitation cases. And this is mainly a massive increase in child sexual abuse material online. So Interpol in 2019 or 2018 did a study and then they found 45 million images online of child sexual exploitation material. Over the past two years throughout COVID, this number has doubled. So what we're seeing is because children are spending so much time online, traffickers have changed their business model and they have also come online. So we need to be teaching our kids how to be careful and how to make sure that they're not being groomed on online gaming platforms, on social media platforms. What's the grooming process like? So what what exploiters what steps exploiters use to bring our kids close and then abuse them i was actually just today in this afternoon reading a new case in australia which was about um an 11 year an 11 year old boy who his father noticed he was getting uh messages okay and he was being groomed for the past two years on fortnite and what happened was he had this approach by this person who called themselves BFF, um, who over a period of six months, imagine six months developing a close relationship of trust and confidence with this boy. And what they do is throughout this process, they, they normalize sex and sexuality. So after six months, this person got this child to send nude photographs to him in exchange for, um, for gaming tokens. So this is what's actually happening. So we as parents need to be aware of how it's happening and we need to have very open, be, make sure we have open lines of communication with our kids. So that's the first element is protection. The second element is how education can prevent human trafficking, how educating kids can disrupt demand, and how educating kids can help change the culture. So let's look at demand first. We need to be asking ourselves, how are my actions fueling demand for sex and labor trafficking? And the one thing that I wanna highlight here is porn. 
because if we look at it, porn, when we porn is a massive catalyst and encourager for sex trafficking. Most of the women we see on porn are trafficked victims. And also not just sex trafficking, but we need to be talking to our kids about labor trafficking and how they can become responsible consumers. The other thing that I've mentioned is how can we change our culture? So let's ask ourselves, what is it under, what underlying cultural norms do we have that facilitate sex trafficking and enable it to thrive? So here we're looking at discrimination, we're looking at sexism, we're looking at the underlying patriarchy, and we're looking at the, the, the general culture that we have as, uh, of consumerism, of, of putting profit and greed over humanity. So, so when we have these conversations with kids, we're basically unpicking and unraveling these cultural norms. We're getting kids to like discover for themselves what does it mean to be open, to be tolerant, not to be racist, to be accepting all of these things. In the end of the day, what they're doing is they're eliminating, they're breaking down vulnerability, they're breaking down barriers, and they're making us open and accepting an inclusive society, which is what will contribute to ending trafficking and slavery. And the third element that I talked about is what I call proactive empowerment. Now, we need to be one step ahead of traffickers. And the way we do this is we need to empower our kids to be able to be, to reduce, let's say, the vulnerability of them being exploited. Now, what when we look especially at online exploitation, so what traffickers use is emotional vulnerability, okay? They 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 create this um, this relationship and they fill a gap that a child might have of maybe being unloved or neglected or unwanted because we all have these human needs we all have needs to be loved and accepted and valued and lots of children feel alone and feel excluded from social circles and this is where the gap that traffickers come in and they 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 feel that they meet this need of of love and attention. So as, uh, as a society, as parents in schools, we need to start to look more closely at the mental health of our kids. And we need to start talking about, about feelings, about vulnerability. So it's not something that's looked at as a weakness. If we bring vulnerability and explore, normalize it, we bring it out into the open, we're taking away this tool away from exploiters. So we're being proactive. And another thing that we really must do is train our kids to be able to trust and listen to their intuition, to be able to know like, you know what, if there's a situation, if someone's talking to me either in person or online and something just doesn't feel right about it, the chances are it's not right. Listen to their intuition, set their boundaries, maintain their boundaries to be able to say no to be able to have uncomfortable conversations with anyone, especially people who like are older, right? Because these are people who come and who can exploit the kids. We need to teach and train our kids to respect themselves, respect their bodies and tell them that they do have a choice. They have human rights and they have to stand up for their human rights. 
Um, thank you. It was really inspiring to listen to the three-pillared approach that you take. Um, can you talk a little bit more about your work on the ground? How do you take what you just said uh, and translate that to, 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 you know, to, to, to work on the ground in Cyprus? Uh, we understand that you're, you're in the process of setting up a center here, a, a support center. Um, that's something that's going to be coming up in the next couple of months. Can you tell us more about that and where your work is going to go towards in the next uh, couple of months in Cyprus? Yes, I'd love to. Thanks for the question. So, um, so the 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 step up support support center that we're creating at the moment, we've actually started working. We have a couple of survivors that we're working with at at the, at the moment, and what we provide is legal support, psycho psychosocial support, and reintegration. Um, so. The reason, actually, that we set up this, the the support center is to work alongside and empower the government in helping them provide the these services to to survivors. Because when when someone's been officially identified as a survivor, they have um, they have legal rights, and there's an obligation on the state to provide certain services, which is free legal support which is therapy to help them stabilize and heal from trauma and to help them reintegrate and to help them get compensation and all of these things. So in order to, to support the social welfare services and the police and to make sure that the survivors are getting the help they need, we we're creating the center, which is basically a one-stop shop, which provides a holistic service so all our all our team is trained specifically on on trafficking survivors trained on trauma so they know the approach to to to, to handle it's very important that survivors are given a safe space and a team that they can trust so they can be able to feel safe and in this way be able to collaborate more effectively and efficiently in giving statements to the police, in being able to give witness testimony, which is solid and will be accepted by the court. Survivors need to understand what their legal rights are in the language that they speak. And we're seeing a gap here. So we're seeing a gap in, we're seeing a lot of stories uh, coming from survivors where they feel lost, they feel they don't have the guidance. So our team of social welfare workers will be literally holding them by the hand throughout the whole process, throughout their criminal case, throughout any civil cases, throughout getting compensation, standing on their own two feet, having their therapy, getting the training they need, the education they need in order to become financially viable and independent. Thank you. Um, you talked a lot about survivors. Do you have any demographics you can share with demographic data you can share with us about this um, in terms of what exactly uh, is happening in Cyprus? Um, how many of these people uh, you know, originally came here as, say, asylum seekers, um, given the work that Project Phoenix does in this space? Uh, and is there a lot of correlation there then between the number of asylum seekers that we have uh, and increasing victims of trafficking here? Yes, yes, I would say there is. Unfortunately, I don't have uh, data to share. Um, regarding data, I think it's a weakness, not just here, but globally. We do have a one of the weaknesses in, in most countries is that we don't have accurate data 
on the numbers of um, of trafficking victims. Thank you, Katrina, for that overview. Um, given the work that Project Phoenix does with migrants and asylum seekers, I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to understand a little bit more about the overlap between asylum seekers uh, in the Republic of Cyprus uh, and, and trafficking victims. Are a lot of the victims uh, themselves or survivors themselves uh, asylum seekers who come? Can you share a little bit more information about how that happens or what happens in that space? Uh, yes, great question. Thank you. Um, I would say there is a, a direct connection and overlap between asylum seekers and human trafficking. Um, unfortunately, I would say because of the lack of expertise in being able to identify a potential victim of trafficking, that we don't have um, an accurate number of how many migrants and refugees actually are trafficking victims. So this is a gap that we consider it's very, it's it's a very severe gap because um, legally a trafficking survivor, as I've said, will only be entitled to lots of legal rights once they've been officially identified by the police. So it's very important that all frontline professionals, which actually includes a very wide range of industries, we're talking about hospitality, so airlines, airports, hospitals, schools, um, immigration services, okay, police uh, are already trained, but we need to make sure that anyone who could have first-hand contact with a refugee, a migrant, any vulnerable group who could be a victim of trafficking are trained to be able to identify what human trafficking is by law and then make a report to police. So in our education program, training frontline professionals in identification of human trafficking is a top priority for us. Perfect. Thank you, Katrina Stefano, for a wonderful, insightful uh, conversation today on this very serious topic, uh, a topic that, as you clearly have identified, is under-addressed in Cyprus. Uh, and we hope that you know this is improved upon and we wish you the best uh, with your new centre and your work in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. And thank you for this opportunity. 